Um, most of you will know that um, Rosie and I are in the process of getting ready for a new addition to our family. Um, you've probably seen the big bump. You can't really miss it, can you? It's, uh, which is very exciting. Um, Rosie is 35 weeks pregnant tomorrow. Um, so it's only five weeks to go now until the due date. So no time at all, and it will be here before we know it. And so it's understandable that we're starting to get a little bit excited. And even the boys are starting to get a little bit excited as well as we, we look forward to meeting the new addition to the family and finding out what they're like. One thing that we do know, we do know that it's going to be a little girl. And uh, it's very exciting. Um, and we can say that with a lot of confidence because because of everything that's happened with Rosie in the past, she's had about half a dozen different scans. So there's been lots of times for them to confirm and look again and again and again. And um, they, they told us just this last Thursday, yes, it really is going to be a girl. So um, we need to stop questioning that one, uh, which is great. But everything else is unknown, isn't it? Everything else will be a surprise. We have no idea what this little girl is going to be like. We don't know if she'll be a, a brunette like Rosie or if she'll be lucky enough to be a ginger like me. <laughs> we don't know if she will be, be like Simon. Simon was the easiest baby I have ever met. He, uh, he just he didn't really cry. He just slept. He ate. He didn't sick. He didn't have bad nappies or nappy rats or anything. He was the easiest little baby you, you could imagine. And Evan was the opposite. And uh, he, he needed to be jiggled constantly and would never settle unless he was on the move. He would, would you know, was sick all the time. He had nappy rats all the time. So he, spent, he cried all the time because he was unhappy. So we don't know what she's going to be like. Who else she'll take after? Evan, Simon, or be completely different. But what we do know is that she'll share our family DNA. And what we do know is that she will have the unique stamp of what it is to be part of the Godfrey family. You know, the people will, will recognize her as being a Godfrey. Um, and that might be a good thing or it might be a bad thing. That's for other people to decide, but she can't really get away from it. You know, we all share characteristics with our families, don't we? And... Um, You know, whether it may be our our appearance, you might have a a feature which everybody says and and looks at you and says, oh, that comes from your your mum or from your granddad um, or whoever a feature in terms of appearance. Or it might be in terms of personality or characteristics or tendencies. You know, and when we're we're part of a family, we share that family DNA. Even, Even if we've been adopted into the family, we'll have been formed by that family's DNA, by their values, by their characteristics and the things that they they tend to to do and the way in which they tend to talk. And over the last few months, we've been talking, haven't we, about a different kind of family DNA. We've been talking about our church family DNA together and what it is that makes up the unique stamp of us being light and life um, here in St. Austell. And it it might be that you're you're visiting here this morning, and if if that's the case, then you've got a great opportunity to to find out and get a glimpse of what it is that we're about and who it is that, that we are. And if you've been around for a while and you consider this to be your family then this series is all about us wanting to reinforce the foundations of who we are, of what is at our heart, of what our core values are, of when it is that people cut you through, what will they find and see again and again and again and again and again. And the starting point then for, for our family DNA together as light and life of our values is that we believe that God is love. And so our highest calling is to love. And we break that down into three different key elements, that we are called to be a people who first and foremost love God, that we are called to be a people who love his church, and we are called to be a people who love his world. And when we try to unpack those different statements and to explain what it is that they mean, and today 
Um, and again, this may be a good thing or a bad thing, but today is the very last time we're going to try and do that. So today is the, the last of our different talks in this series, looking at what it is, is our family DNA and our values. And we're continuing to look then at what it is to love God's world. And, and the last part of what it is to love God's world, we say, is it means that we are a people who are committed to those in need. And um, if the next slide comes on, fantastic. We unpack that and explain that by saying it means serving the whole community, particularly those on the margins of society, recognizing everyone's worth as an image bearer of God and their need to be restored to him. Now, it's quite a dense statement, isn't it? That's a, a, a heck of a lot in there. But it's something which is directly in line with our vision statement. To see God's love transform lives as we follow him. Now our heart is to see people's lives transformed. The mandate that we believe that God has, has given us as a church from Isaiah 61 is to proclaim good news to the poor, to those in need. It's to bind up the broken hearted, which are those in need. It's to proclaim sight for the blind. It's to set the captives free. It's all about those in need. It's about reaching out to those in need with the love of God, whether they be an emotional need, a physical need, a spiritual need, in order to see that person's life transformed. That's the mandate that God has, has given us. So this value sits at the very heart of it. It's this heart for those in need, this commitment to those in need that is the key part of our identity together. And I know it's a heart that not only do we share together, but it's a heart that so many have individually, which is, is fantastic as well. Now, I, I mentioned um, earlier the starting point for our values is that God is love. And so we take our cue from him. We take our cue of what it is that we value from him and from looking at him. And when we look through the Bible, one of the things that we see all throughout it is that God is committed to those in need. He has a heart for those in need. You know, as soon as God has his own people, as soon as God has the nation Israel, he gives them instructions. And in those instructions, some of the key things that come through again and again and again is how they are to care for orphans and widows. How they are to, to care for strangers and foreigners who come into their land. How they're to care for the poor and the hungry. How they're to care for all the different types of people who are unable to care for themselves. And those instructions continue all throughout the Old Testament. And then we're going to look at Isaiah 58 and we're going to read verses 1 to 11. And, and this is what God says. It begins, shout it aloud. Do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Do you think God wants to get their attention? Do you think he wants them to, to listen to what it is that he's going to say and for it to cut across and interrupt everything else that they are doing? And he goes on. He says, declare to my people their rebellion and to the descendants of Jacob their sins. For day after day, they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. Why are we fasted? they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and, and you have not noticed? Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. 
Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast? A day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke. To set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then, then your light will break forth like the dawn. And your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with pointing the finger and malicious talk. And if you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed. Then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. There's some great promises in those verses, aren't there? You know, but in the first three verses, God seems pretty angry doesn't he? And yet when you look at what the people were doing, it doesn't really seem all that bad. You know, we read that the people were seeking God. They were eager to know his ways. They've asked God for just decisions and they were eager for God to be near to them. That they're putting their desire into action by then giving themselves to fasting and to praying and to seeking God. doesn't sound... That bad really, does it? You know, if Isaiah was writing today, he might say you are a people who come to church on a Sunday and go to midweek groups. He might say you are a people who read your Bibles every day and spend time in prayer. Is it really that bad? The problem is that while they might do all sorts of different religious things and tick all these different religious boxes that actually they missed the point. They thought that their religious activity made them godly. That they were godly people. And they were left wondering why God seemed so distant from them and didn't seem to be answering their prayers. They missed the fact that God had already given them instructions as a nation, instructions as a people. He'd already told them what it looked like to follow him and to be his people, that it meant caring for the poor and the downtrodden and the rejects and the strangers instead of being focused inwardly on themselves, making sure that they were ticking all the religious boxes and that they appeared to be a godly people doing all the things which godly people should do. God's desire was for them to be a people who focused outwardly. Who focused outwards with the love of God in practical ways and were committed to those in need. A people who shared his heart for others rather than selfishly chasing after the desires of their own heart. And it's when I read passages like this that I realize how important it is 
that we keep the mandate to proclaim good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, and to set captives free front and center all the time. It's not a secondary issue or an optional extra that we can just tag on. It's at the core of God's heart. And it needs to be at the core of ours as well. You know, it's God's love and compassion which is at the absolute center of the good news of Jesus. You know, John 3.16, one of the most famous verses in the Bible, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Now, so it was God's love and compassion for each one of us that meant that when he looked at us and he saw that we were going to perish, he decided to do something about it. He saw a people in need and decided he needed to act to meet that need. He saw a people in need. And he sent Jesus to live amongst us, to show us how to live, to teach us God's ways. He saw a people in need and he sent Jesus to pay the price that they could never pay. To die in their place so that we could enjoy life with God. As he really intended us to. You know, at the very heart of the good news of Jesus is the fact that God is committed to those who are in need. That he is moved by love and compassion to take action on behalf of those who are in need. And just as it's at the core of God's purpose for Jesus, it's at the core of his purpose for us as a church. And it's going back to Isaiah 58. There are some fantastic promises then that God gives to those who fulfill that purpose, aren't there? To those who carry God's heart for the poor and care for the poor and are committed to those who are in need, who care for the hungry and for the homeless, who care for the oppressed. You know, it says in in verse 10, for those who don't only spend their money but spend themselves on behalf of those in need, who commit themselves to a lifestyle, not just ticking a box, but a lifestyle of caring for those in need. God promises to those people, that your night, that your darkness will give way to light. That God will guide you and satisfy your own needs. That your healing will quickly appear. That righteousness will go before you and God's glory will guard your rear. That when you pray, God will hear and he will answer. That you will be like a well-watered garden. That you will be refreshed and you will flourish. And these are promises that God is, is giving collectively to the nation Israel. And I believe they're promises that God would give collectively to us together as his church. That it's as we hold true to the mandate that he's given us. To proclaim good news to the poor. To be committed to those in need. That as a church we will experience his blessing. That we will see lives transformed. That we will see 153 big fish added in. That we will see signs and miracles and wonders and healing breaking out amongst us. That we will see the Spirit of God at work amongst us in greater power. When we reflect the heart of God, we will walk in the favor of God. When we reflect the heart of God, we will walk in the favor of God. Now, one of the things that's um, always um, struck me about the, the early church, um, is the way in which they modeled this. You know, um, 
Paul said in his letter to Philippians, um, and he, he wrote to them, I'm paraphrasing, but he wrote to them and he said that as a church we're to have the same attitude as, as Jesus. And just as, as God is committed to those in need, just as he considered them of greater importance and value than his own comfort and was willing to sacrifice that to come down and to walk amongst them and to die in their place, so we're to put others' needs above our own comfort, to value them above ourselves. And Paul says, when you do this, going on, you will shine like stars in the sky. People will see your good works. You will stand out as different. And your sacrificial care and compassion will lead to people giving glory to the Heavenly Father. And as the church grows and develops, it's this kind of attitude that they become best known for. You know, the first century church doesn't explode with growth because of their belief system. What they believed was weird. We read that in the Bible. You know, the, the fact that they believed that there was a man who, who died on the cross and who came back to life and was resurrected and who was the savior of the whole world, it was foolishness to the Greeks and it was a stumbling block to the Jews. What led to the explosion of growth wasn't about their belief system. They had no standing at this point in history, no influence in society. What led to the explosion of growth in the church was the fact that they were known for being a people of unusual generosity and compassion. They were committed to those in need and they broke all of the cultural norms in order to do it. They valued other people above themselves because they had experienced God's unusual generosity and compassion towards them in Christ. You know, there was a time when um, uh, early on in, in the church, about 100 AD-ish, and the church was under a, a huge amount of suspicion. People looked at the church very suspiciously, and a plague broke out in Africa. Um, and the Christians became known because they were only people who not only stayed in the place where this plague broke out, but they traveled there purposefully. And they went there to care for the people who were suffering under this plague. And they went there because they didn't fear death. Because they had a confidence that they would be joining Jesus in heaven. And that they were committed to these people in need because they knew this Jesus, they would be joining in heaven. He was committed to these people in need. And if they wanted to go and stand with him in glory, they needed to share his heart in the here and now. Now one of my favorite figures in, in the early church is an African, a guy called Tertullian. And he, he wrote this once. He said, our care for the derelict and our active love have become a distinctive sign before others. This love includes bringing up the children of prostitutes and gladiators and exposed infants dumped on the rubbish tips of cities in the Roman Empire. It was these acts of care that made these Christians shine like stars across the Roman Empire. It made people sit up and pay attention and want to know why. It created open doors and, and opportunities to share about Jesus in an authentic way because people had already seen the difference that he made in their lives. They'd already seen something of, of the way in which his love transforms everything. And because they reflected the heart of God, because they focused outwards and were committed to those in need, they not only had the favor of God, but they found that they also had the favor of people. Maybe not the ruling people, but the grassroots of people. And it says that God added to their number daily 
You know, we want to be a people who are committed to those in need because our God is committed to those in need, isn't he? And so it's the only way that we can reflect his heart and display his love. You know, we want to let our lights shine and display the love of God in practical ways so that people will see our good works. Not so that they think the church is great, but so that they see our good works. And as Jesus says, they would give glory to our Father in heaven. You know, one of the things that I've always loved um, about this church since, since I joined it, I didn't join it right at wasn't part of the church right at the beginning when this was all happening, but it was great to become to a church. I joined the church when it had been going for about nine months. And at that point, there was already a heart and there was already a determination. There was already a, an active setting up and a, almost ready to open of the food bank. That was there at the core at the very beginning of the church. And the food bank opened pretty much a year after the church um, began meeting weekly on a Sunday morning. Having inv- and having the people here having invested about £20,000 or more into making that happen. And, and four and a half years later now, the food bank has fed over 6,000 people for three days each. That's incredible, isn't it? And many of those people have not only received food, they've not only received the love of God in practical ways, but actually they've had someone sit down and talk to them. Sit down and care for them. Care for the needs that they face. Sit down and pray with them and tell them that God cares for the needs that they face. That's even more fantastic. You know, and through the food bank, we've seen this principle hold true. That through the food bank, the church has shone like a star in St. Austell, and we have found favor in the midst of the community. It has opened doors and created opportunities for us to share about Jesus in places and ways that never would have been possible otherwise. You know, one of the great things that you might not know um, that the children in the church do is support a child in Ethiopia um, called Mirret Gurma. Um, they've been doing it for a couple of years now, and they've uh, not only been able to support her financially, but also um, they've been able to send letters and pictures to her um, and things as well, which is great. And we do that through a, um, a free Methodist charity called International Child Care Ministries, which supports children in, uh, in about 30 different countries, um, providing education, clothing, um, providing free meals, um, it, where it's needed, residential care and different things. But... You know, we've, we've given today, haven't we, a number of us to, to Nepal. And sometimes when we give to things internationally, I don't know about you, but it can be easy for the, to hand the money over and then very quickly to forget all about it. And to, to not really know what it makes, what difference it makes, to not really, um, you know, know what, what happens beyond there and to, to forget about it ourselves as well. And, and I thought it would be good just to watch a video um, by International Child Care Ministries by the, as the director reads a letter um, written by one of the children's parents and just hear some of the difference that it makes. Brilliant. Sometimes people ask me, with all the child sponsorship programs in the world, why does a smaller one like International Child Care Ministries even need to exist? I'd like to answer that question by just telling you a story. This happened to me a couple of weeks ago as I was visiting in Rwanda. A man who was the president of the Parents Association for a ministry that, that we have there for kids who have mental disabilities um, came to give me this letter. It's called Speech by a Representative of the Parents. I wish to greet our visitor, Mrs. Linda Adams, and I also wish to welcome her to our country, Rwanda. A bad-hearted person would think that mentally retarded children are useless and not worth considering at all. 
But when you put aside your work in America and come to Africa for the sake of our children, it proves that in the first place you are a God-fearing person and a humanitarian at the same time. May God bless you for that. While thanking you, I also wish to thank the Free Methodist Church ministers who never cease to teach us that these children are also human beings with human rights. Quite firmly, they also teach us that God loves them. For a start, we thought that the church ministers were mocking us, but when we noted how they care for the children, we realized that after all, they love them, and as such, mocking us was not at all the case. When you see how the Free Methodist Church ministers care for our children, you realize that there's a God in heaven and that God in heaven creates some people with good hearts. At this juncture, let me seize this chance of thanking the Methodist Church ministers because of being good-hearted people. We had failed to know how to make our children's daily program, but with the Amazero Project routine in place, we are relieved. Furthermore, it will be a blessing if more handicapped children being hidden in villages can be brought to Amazero Project. God's people tend to have ways and means of getting money, but if in one way or another our local church ministers fail, kindly tell our colleagues in America to help our church so that these children benefit more. I don't know the Bible so much, but I'm sure there's a verse which says that when you people go to heaven, the Almighty God will say to you, I was hungry and you fed me. I was naked and you clothed me, etc., exactly when you support children like these ones. I'm sure even Abraham will join the Almighty God to welcome you to heaven. He says he doesn't know his Bible much, but he quotes Jesus, who told us that when we serve one of the littlest ones, the least of these, in his name, we're serving him. That's what I see happening at the Amazero Project. I'm grateful to be able to partner with them and with the Free Methodist Church in Rwanda so that these kids can be fed and clothed and educated and helped in so many ways. They're asking us for physical therapy equipment. They're asking us for beds and mattresses. They're asking us even for a vehicle, and I would love to be able to say yes to all those requests. So a true story like this one illustrates perfectly that there are opportunities for standing alongside the church around the world that International Child Care Ministries is uniquely positioned to seize. That's why we're here. And that's why we need your partnership. What I love in that letter is um, the way in which he, he talks about how when they first started um, loving these children and telling them that God loved these children, they thought, how can that be? thought they must be mocking them. But it was as they st- continued to walk through it, as they showed it, as they lived it out, as they demonstrated it, as they showed their love for these children, they began to see that actually God could love these children too. And that actually the, the way in which these people were, were committed to children in need in Africa and opened the eyes of the parents to see God in a completely different way. Open the eyes of the parents to realize the love of God and the care of God for them and for their children. And I find that incredible. There's something so simple, something so small, as simply just caring for a child that nobody else does can impact the way that someone views God and the way that they understand God. You know, the small things that we can do can make such a, a huge difference. 
You know, it's, and it's great to be able to, um, you know, as part of the church, um, partner with and be, play a role in, in things like uh, the food bank and, and, you know, be part of different projects and organizations. But, you know, the reality is we all have opportunities, don't we, on our own individually in day-to-day life to care for those in need and to demonstrate God's heart of generosity to the people around us. And Tony Campolo tells a a great story about his experience. He writes, he said, I was walking down the street in Philadelphia, and and a bum came towards me. I mean, a dirty, filthy guy. He was covered in soot from head to toe. You couldn't believe how messed up he was. He had this huge beard, and the beard was filled with rotten food. And as he approached me, he, he held out a cup of McDonald's coffee. And he said, hey, mister, want some of my coffee? And I looked at this dirty, filthy man. And I said, thanks, but that's okay. And I walked by him. The minute I passed him, I knew I was doing the wrong thing. So I turned around and I said, excuse me, I I would like some of your coffee. I took the cup. And I I sipped some coffee and and I gave it back to him and I said, you're being very generous. How come you're being so generous today? And this bum looked at me and, and he said, because the coffee was especially delicious today. And I think when God gives you something good, you ought to share it with people. I didn't know how to handle that. So, so I said, can I give you anything? I thought he was going to hit me for $5. But he said, no. Then he said, yeah. Yeah, I've changed my mind. There is something you can give me. You can give me a hug. I was hoping for the $5. (laughs) He put his arms around me, and I put my arms around him. And as I in my suit and my tie, and he in his filthy garb, hugged each other on the street, I had the strange awareness that I wasn't hugging a bum, I was hugging Jesus. I found Jesus in that suffering man. You know, some of us here today, we might not feel like we've got a lot that we can give. We might feel like we're actually one of those people who's in need ourselves. But I think this man with his coffee is a fantastic example are the fact that to be committed to those in need, to carry that heart and that lifestyle, we don't need to have a lot. We simply need to share the good things that God has given us. However little that might be. You know, to finish today, I want to do a couple of things. First of all, I I want to celebrate. I want to celebrate everything that you personally and we as a church are already doing to care for those in need. You know, when you think back in terms of the food bank and and the way in which it's developed and the difference that that's made, that is something to celebrate, isn't it? You know, and I know that there is, um, pretty much in one way or another, there is probably not a person here who hasn't um, given into and enabled the food bank. Whether that's giving time, whether it's giving food, whether it's giving finances, you know, whether it's been building stuff or shifting crates, it's pretty much every person here has, has in some way or another enabled that care of those in need to be happening. 
You know, it might be you're also involved in other charities, things like Beesum, things like uh, Cosgart. It might be that you already sponsor a child. It might be that you um, have already opened your home to somebody and, and allowed them into your house. Or it might be that you've, you know, done a whole host of different things to show your care for those in need. And I want to celebrate that. And I want to honor you for that and for what it is that you do. And the fact that through your good works, you shine like stars in the sky. You display something of the love of God so that people can see something of your heavenly Father and give glory to him. And I know sometimes doing those kind of things can be hard, and we can wonder what's the point, and we can think, I don't want to keep going, I don't want to keep living in this kind of a way and keep doing this kind of a thing, but I want you to know that God is well pleased with you for what it is that you do, that he takes delight in the times when you care for those in need, because it reflects his heart, because he cares for those in need. But as much as I, I want to celebrate and as much as I want to honor you and as much as I know so many of you are, are, are giving and already committed to those in need, I know personally, and maybe you don't, but I know personally how easy it is to get caught up in my own concerns and my own wants and my own busyness and the things I've got to do and to lose sight of God's heart. I know how easy it is when I'm walking down the street to be simply focused on my destination and getting there and not allowing anything to interrupt or disturb me. That I can turn a blind eye to everything that's going on around. I know how easy it is to be like Tony Campolo and walk past and ignore those in need. To judge them and to think that they're only going to try and hit me for money. How easy it is to look at the scale of the need and think, well... It's so huge, what can I do anyway? So why even bother trying? And make excuses. But you know, when, when God looked at you and when God looked at me, he saw someone in need. He saw someone in need of forgiveness. He saw someone in need of a fresh start and a new beginning. Someone in need of love. And he didn't judge you for all the different things that you've done which should disqualify you from it. He was moved by love and by compassion to sacrificially meet your need. To sacrificially give up the comfort of heaven and to walk amongst needy people in order to help you where you couldn't help yourself. In order to pay the price that you could never pay. You know, when we fix our eyes on the love and the compassion of God for us, for you and for me, the sacrificial generosity of God towards us. And we know that actually he doesn't just have that heart for us in here. He doesn't just have that heart for you and me. He has that heart for every single person on this planet. It calls me up. And I hope it calls you up to want to share something of that heart. When you see people in need. When you see the broken. When you see the hurting. When you see the hungry. To be able to look at them and not just see a hungry person, one of a thousand faces, but to see someone that God cares for and God loves and God died for. It moves your heart to step up and to be committed to those in need.